we're, we're go ahead and turn into to Genesis 12, and we're continuing this study. And this is a little bit unique study. Normally, my, my, the 412, you know, has a lot of, uh, you know, kind of information. It's the foundations. The 2-2 has a lot of theology. That's what we call the 2-2. This is a study. I've never taught this one before. I'm just putting it together. In fact, the last two lessons, if you notice on your new outline, lessons 13 and 14, I haven't completed those yet. So I'll get those completed. In fact, the title might even change after I put the whole lesson together, I might say, I don't think that's a good enough title for that. But anyway, that's where we are. So we're looking at the people and the places and the events and the lands and everything that ties in to our the life of our Savior, His life on the earth before and after His incarnation. And so we're seeing that. Here's our goal. Our goal, and, and you, know, just, you can write down things if you want to, And but our goal is to understand the events, the places, and the people connected with Jesus. That's the idea. It's like, I was thinking about this. So as we get ready to start the New Testament, Testament, uh, you see that there are people called Pharisees and Sadducees and all that. You don't find any of those people in the Old Testament. So where did it come from? Where did all this happen? Uh, remember, you don't have to write down everything word for word, but, uh, you know, if you want to be right, you will. But no, I'm just kidding. Just, you know, you don't have to write down everything word for word. Let me remind you of how we divided the study. And I have, I think, on your handout right there, it says the four big sections. There they are. We're looking at the end of the Old Testament. We're looking between the Testaments, which is really some unusual time. Then we're looking at the beginning of the New Testament, and then what I'm calling the end times, and we'll see how that ties together. If you have your outline, I want you to look at something, the outline we handed out tonight. Just You don't have to write a lot of things down, but look at it. It says, the end of the Old Testament, that's the first four lessons. We already did lesson one, which I called it the Bible and the history of Israel. We took you basically up to right at the end of the Old Testament. That's what we did last week, and so we got a lot more to come. And we're going to see Israel, the lesson tonight, sin, judgment, and captivity. They go into captivity. Why? What happened? What kind of things happened? We're going to see them in captivity. You may say, are you going to have a whole lesson? Yeah, we're going to have a whole lesson on them being in captivity and what happens there. And then we're going to actually see them return to the land. And that's at the basically the end of the Old Testament. Then the number two, the big number two is between the Testaments. This is sort of a fun thing. When we get to lesson five, I told you I'm going to have this handout for you, which is a handout that I put in the 2-2 study. And it is actually like six to eight to ten type pages of what sort of details of what happened in between the Testaments. So you'll just be able to have that as reference. In fact, one of the things I want you to think about, this class has so much information in it, you could say, well, no way I can know all this. No, you can't know all this. And so what we're doing is this is great resource material for you. So you can use this, everything we hand out and all those things. You can just say, okay, I can go back to this sometime or what, what I want to learn or I want to remember something. You can always do that. So uh, the... The third lesson is they're in captivity. We'll spend the time on that in the return. Then in between the Testaments, I call it caught in moral powers because they actually get to come back after 70 years. We'll talk more about that. They actually get to come back and come back to the land, but they're not free. And there are other nations going back and forth, and we'll see all kind of wars and all kind of things. I call that caught in world powers. And, you know, we call this the intertestamental period of time, and people call it the 400 silent years. But do you realize that the Bible actually talks about this time? Daniel chapter 11 actually covers information and things that, that was going to happen uh, in between the Testaments. And we're going to deal, lesson six will be a very interesting lesson as Israel dealing with what we call the little Antichrist. You know, there is the Antichrist. What, 
What is the Antichrist called in the Bible? Everybody wants to say Antichrist, but that's not his name. What is he? He's the beast, the beast that rises out of the sea. In the Old Testament, there is one we call the little Antichrist because he does things in the Old Testament that are a foreshadow of what the Antichrist does in the future. So we'll see that. Then the third section is, we call it the beginning of the New Testament. And, and we don't go into all those letters and everything because that's what we do in some other classes. But we're going to see Israel, Rome, and the Jewish world. What's, what's it like? What's Rome like? The Jewish world, what's it all like as we get ready for the Messiah? And then we see the coming of the forerunner and the Messiah. We see John the Baptist comes and then Jesus. And then we have two whole lessons on the ministry of Jesus. And I think you'll love that stuff because it talks about what Jesus uh, did in the past and what he's doing for us right now. And then, that's those two lessons. And then the conflict and the cross. Of course, we're going to see the battle going on between those religious leaders and Jesus as he goes to the cross. And then lesson 12, I said, uh, I mentioned this last week. I think it's going to be my, one of my favorite lessons at all is because it's victory in the cross. What, what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross? And we're going to look at some things that most people never think about. Like, when did Jesus pay for sin on the cross? Most people say, when he what? When he died on the cross. Well, when? What, what death? Spiritual death? Physical death? I mean, before he dies physically, what does his next to last words? It is finished. Well, he hadn't died physically yet. So you can't say that Jesus paid for sin when he died physically. Because he said it's finished and he hadn't died physically yet. So we'll talk more about that. That's going to be a great one. And then, of course, the last two lessons, 13 and 14, is going to deal with what I call the end times where Jesus comes and we talk about the church, we talk about the rapture, talk about the tribulation, the second coming, the eternal state, all of those things, because it all ties in to who he is and what he's doing. And so I think that we'll get a lot out of that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So that's the four lessons. And, and, and by the way, when we get to that last thing, we're going to talk about the dry bones of Israel. And even today, how modern-day Israel, does modern-day Israel fit in any prophecies and those kind of things? We'll see that. So last time we looked at the flow of the Bible. In this lesson, we're going to see the nation falls. We're going to see God's judgment. And we're going to see what we call the deportation. So you're still on page one of, of our handout, and that was kind of the, the brief review. So let's start with this. In Genesis 12, we see a promise to a man. His name was Abram. What does his name mean? What does Abram mean? Big Daddy. Big Daddy. And then his name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And so here he is, and God made a covenant. You're in Genesis chapter 12, and I've got verses 1, 2, and 3. He came up with what we call the land, the seed, the blessing. I want you to look at Genesis 12. And the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis 12, 1, to Abram, go from your country. Where was he living? Does anybody know? The Ur of the Chaldees. Where is that? It's modern-day Iraq. And it's actually a little bit southern that way, but it's, it's Iraq. And so he says, go from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you. He's actually going to give it to him, but he says, I'm showing it to you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And then, let me stop there. So he says, I'm, giving, I'm, I'm going to show you this land. I'm going to make this, this, this nation coming from you. So you've got the land. Let me right, hold this right there, right there. We've got the land, which what do we call that? It's Israel. We got a seed. Who is that? We call that the Jews. But who's the ultimate seed? Jesus. And then you got the blessing. What is the blessing? It's the salvation to the world. And he says something really 
uh, unique, which sets these people apart. In verse 3, I will bless those that what? Bless you, and I will what? Curse those that curse you, and all the nations of the world, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the salvation to the world. You understand that from the Word of God, that Jesus, that whoever, and this is wild, whoever in a sense helps Israel, blesses Israel, is blessed. And whoever is opposed to Israel is cursed. They're God's chosen people. Now, chosen for service, not for salvation. Every human being must believe in Jesus Christ or believe in the coming Messiah if it's Old Testament. But being chosen as a people group did not save them. Chosen is for service. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes together. So uh, we saw last time he's going to bless them, this unique people group. And the, God used the nation of Israel to bring two things, the Word of God and the Messiah and Savior of the world. So that God used the nation of Israel to give us the Bible, as we talked about last week. If Luke is, is not Jewish, and he may be, if he's not Jewish, he's the only non-Jewish writer of the Bible. This is a Jewish book. I know people who are Christians who love the Bible and say they hate Jewish people. Well, your Savior's Jewish, and your Bible is Jewish. You should love Jewish people. They're God's chosen people. So to give us the Word of God and the Messiah. And you remember, seed of woman who's going to do what? Crush the head of the serpent. And the seed of, uh, of uh, Abraham who's going to what? Bless the whole world. And the son of David who's going to be the great what? King and the Son of Man is going to set up a kingdom that will never end. And the and the Son of Mary, who is both the Savior and the King, and then the Lamb of God, who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Listen, I don't know if you grasp that. Jesus is walking by. John the Baptist has three or four guys with him. They're his disciples. But he sees Jesus and he says, There's the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Now that was such a shock because all sin of all people up to that time had not been paid for. Every sacrifice from basically Adam and Eve all the way up covered sin. So when John the Baptist said, to, said about Jesus, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word takes away in the Greek is the word arao, which means to lift up and take it. It's gone. So he was actually saying that man is the one who will not cover sin like the animal sacrifices. He was the Messiah and the Savior who will pay for the sin of the world. That's, that's unbelievable. So that's where we got it. We got the Word of God and the, and the Messiah and the Savior. And so just remember, uh, uh, after that, of course, there's Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob had the 12. And then uh, when you think of the 12 sons, who stands out? Did anybody stand out of those 12 sons? Joseph stands out, he does. When we, we did a study called the Patriarchs, and the main patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but in that study, we went ahead and did Joseph, because Joseph is so amazing. Uh, Joseph trusted God. Joseph was a little, bit, a little bit arrogant, because he told his brothers that they're all going to bow down to him. He told his mom and dad, everybody's going to bow down, down to him. But when it came down to it, he was so faithful, and God used him and did such amazing things with him. They went down into Egypt, protected them all, and then when they got down to Egypt, uh, there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph after Joseph had died, and the Jewish people became slaves. How long were they slaves there? Over 400 years. Over 400 years. And so God raised up who? Who? Moses and Aaron. And, and Moses is called the what? What, do you, what does everybody call Moses? The lawgiver. That's exactly right. Because what happened is they left. If you remember, the ten plagues came in. Each one of the plagues were a judgment of the gods of 
of Egypt. They came out, they got to the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea. We talked about it last week. You, you know, you, you think about it and you say they just walked through on dry land, but do you realize the wa- there was walls of water? And no telling how high the walls of water were beside them. I don't like water. I would have been, I mean, can you think about walking and, and beside you on both sides is, is walls of water? How many, how many people left? How many people left and came out of Egypt? Two million. You're not talking about 50 people walking across a pasture, right? You're talking about two million people leaving and going across what would be a sea, going to the other side. It took them all night. They went, it was all night long. God took the pillar of fire and got in between Egypt, who had caught up to them, and the people, and the people walked across all night long. And after they got almost to the other side, God took the fire, moved it away, and the Egyptians came after them. And at daybreak, when all the Jews were on the other side, God, Moses picked up that stick, did that right there, and the water fell upon the enemy. So Moses is, the, we call him the, the, the deliverer and the, and the uh, lawgiver. So they leave, and they go, and it's not a very long journey, and they come to a place called Mount Horab. It has another name. What's the other name? Mount Sinai, and this is where they get the law. Did anybody know how long they were at Mount Sinai when they got the law? Exactly right, about a year. They were there about a year. Then they left, and uh, here's the question. So the nation of Israel, when they went down to Egypt, how many people were there? About 75, 70 in one place, 75, because he's given them all in one. One, he's just listing part of the family, and the other, he gives the whole family. So it's 75. So they went in with 75 people, and they came out with 2 million, right? Uh, these 2 million people need a law. They need a constitution. They need to know how to live, right? I mean, if you've got 75 people, you got Big Daddy tells you what to do, right? But if you've got 2 million people... And so God took them to the mountain. Moses went on top of the mountain, got... Uh, I like to call them the top ten commandments. And what happened while he got that law? They made a golden calf. I, I think it's one of the funniest things. Went, well, I say funny. I, I sure wasn't funny to, to, to Moses or to God or to Aaron. But when Moses came down and saw the golden calf and said to Aaron, how did, how did they get this? Aaron said that they just threw some gold in the fire and it popped out like that. But we know that Aaron helped do it. And so they made this golden calf. And God gave a law and he broke, he threw them down and broke them and ground up the calf, made them drink it, then went back up on the mountain, came back down with uh, the Ten Commandments. And then, of course, they got a lot more. And why would God give a law? He's called the lawgiver and the giver, and he led the nation of Israel back to the promised land. But he gave the law, and why the law? Well, there's two reasons, if you want to just look at it. He gave it to set the people apart. He gave them certain food and clothes and feast days and certain days and certain sacrifices. I mean, you think about it. If you're Jewish, there were certain foods you couldn't eat. There were certain clothes you couldn't wear. There were certain crops where you had to do things. There were certain days. There were certain feasts. There were certain everything. And so he set them apart, and he called them a peculiar people. Peculiar, sometimes we use peculiar to mean like they're weird. Like, oh, yeah, that he's a little peculiar. But in the Bible, peculiar just meant unique, different. So there are different people. The second thing that he did, and I'm, I'm not going to turn there just because of time, but the second reason that he gave the law was it pointed to the Savior. If you want to, write out beside that where it says pointed to the Savior, write uh, Romans three nineteen and 20, because it pointed to the Savior because the law showed you what? That you cannot what? 
you can't keep it, that you're a sinner. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says, Whatever the law says, it says that those under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world become guilty. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. How many of you in this room have broken all of the top ten commandments? <laughs> you say, well, I never murdered. Did you hate? Jesus said, if you hate it, that's the same as murder. Have you ever put anything before God? Have you ever wanted something that belonged to somebody else? Have you, have you ever disobeyed your mama and daddy? Have you, I mean, have you ever cheated? Have you, I mean, it's just, you go down the list and you go, uh, if you just look at the top ten, how many commandments were there? 500, either 513, 518, just according to how they did it. If you look at those laws, who could keep that? Nobody. The purpose of the law was not to make you was not to to get you salvation. The purpose of the law was to point to Christ. That's why, if you want to write down, also besides Romans three nineteen and twenty, Galatians three twenty four, the law is our schoolmaster to point us to Christ. When we sin, when we fall short, when we look at the law and we can't measure up, the law points us to Jesus Christ. It points us to the Savior, and that's what's so amazing about that. So that they had the law, and uh, God set them apart. Pretty unique thing. Now, some of this I'm going to go a little faster through, and some of it will go more details just because some of it's more fun, some of it's not as much fun. But let's think about what happened. So they got ready to go into the promised land, and, you know, Moses didn't get to lead them in. And Joshua was the one that led them in, and they, they, uh, got, they got ready to go in. And as they were getting ready to go in, uh, they got um, at the Jordan River, and they were going to cross over. But Moses is still alive. And, and Moses had the, the book of Deuteronomy. Anybody know? Okay, Genesis means beginning, and Exodus means going out because they're going out of Egypt. And Leviticus has the idea of the laws, and, and Numbers is them wandering around. But the, the last book, or the fifth book, at, that Moses wrote was called Deuteronomy. Anybody know what Deuteronomy means? Yeah. It means what? Yeah. It means second law. Yeah. Duo is two, and namas is law. So Deuteronomy or is, is the second, second law. Moses sits down, and as they get ready to go in the promised land, he says, I'm going to give you the following instructions before you go in the land so you'll know what to do once you get in the land. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. And it's an it's a amazing book uh, if you've ever studied it. Uh, most people, let's just face it, you know, I, I started reading the Bible after I trusted Christ when I was 19, and I read Genesis, and it was out of this world, and I read Exodus, and it was out of this world, and I read Leviticus, and I said, this is not that great. I mean, it's good, but, but it's starting to slow down, and then uh, I kind of said, I think I'll slip on up to the new section, you know, which is the New Testament to so the Old Testament, and, but so Numbers and Deuteronomy are amazing, but here's what God said. If you go, when you go into the land, if you obey me, I'll let you stay in the land. Whose land is it? That's a trick question. Whose land is it? It's God's land. Actually, we always say it's Israel's land. God gave the land to Israel, but it's God's land. And God says, I'll let you live in my land. So the nation of Israel in that land that is described in Genesis 15 and Genesis 18 and all of that, that's God's land. And he's given it to the Jewish people. He said, if you obey me when you're in the land, you get to stay there. And if you disobey me, 
I'm going to move you out of the land. And so what he said is obey God, blessing, you get to stay in the land. Disobey God, there's cursing, and you put out of the land. So where you are, it says, if it says obey God, just say blessing, stay in the land, whatever you want to write there. And where it says disobey God, just put that you'll be put out of the land. And I have for you Deuteronomy 11, and I'm going to put it, I think I'm going to put it up here. If you got it written down, just put uh, obey, cursing, uh, uh, obey is blessing and disobey and cursing and that kind of thing. Here's this. Look what he says. He says, I'm placing before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you today. If you obey me, what do you get? Blessing. Let me ask you a question. If you obey the word of God, are you blessed? If you disobey the word of God, are you cursed? Yeah, it's called discipline, right? All right. So it's the same truth. Uh, they, they, they had the law. We don't, we're not under the Mosaic law. Never have been. But anyway, so he says, if you do not, uh, it says, I'm commanding you today. And the curse, if you do not listen to the commands of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way I'm commanding you and follow another God you've not known. So he basically says, this is the deal. You obey me when you go into the land and you'll get to stay there. You disobey me, I'll move you out of the land. And, and so let me just th throw this out. So obey, and you can write it in, remained in the land. And uh, I've got this, this, this slide, that this is, it's long, and I don't want you to have to even worry about it. But he basically says, keep the commandments which I'm commanding you, and be strong, take possession of the land, and it'll proclaim, look at this, it'll prolong your days on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. If you listen obediently to my commands, I'm commanding you, and the love of the Lord your God, all your heart, he'll provide for you, give you good reigns. It's just going to be a great time if you obey okay and he gives and that, and that that's kind of the the bottom land you'll get to remain in the land but he says if you disobey i'll remove you from the land and watch this beware that your hearts are not easily deceived you not turn away and serve other gods and you worship them. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord is going to be kindled against you. He'll shut up the sky. There won't be any rain. The ground will not yield its produce. And you'll perish from the good land. I'm going to move you out of there. And so you see the contrast. And, and in fact, as we get to the next one, the contrast between the blessing and the cursing. Some call this the Deuteronomic covenant. We always say there's the, the, you know, the, no, the Noahic covenant and the uh, Abrahamic covenant and all those kinds of covenants. But some people call this the Deuteronomic covenant because it's found in Deuteronomy and it's the boy they're about to go into the land and it's called the blessing and cursing. And here's the contrast. Here's the blessing. If you diligently obey the Lord your God and be careful to do His commandments, I'm commanding you, the Lord will put you high up, high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come to you. Okay? That, that's the blessing. Here's the cursing. But as you come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God to be careful to follow His commands and His statutes which I'm commanding you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Listen, the truth is this. I've, I've, I've always thought about Jewishness and being Jewish. And, uh, I, you know, you almost kind of say, and sometimes I say, I kind of, I, I almost wish I was Jewish. I mean, you know, being God's so, But you know what? Being Jewish is pretty tough. He said, these are my people. I gave them a law. I gave them a Messiah. I gave them the responsibility to proclaim this message. I gave them the Bible. I've given them to be the top people in the whole world. And I've said, if you do good, you obey, blessing. Disobey, cursing. And you want to say, well, I don't want that job. I've talked to Jewish people who say, I wish I wasn't Jewish. I wish, I wish God didn't put that on us. And it's true. 
It's really true. Jewish people are amazing. And I mean, God has set them apart. And it's just an amazing thing. So they got the curse. You know, there's the great contrast. And uh, it, it's terrible. So what happened? Joshua went and it took the land. Well, of course, everybody knows the famous story of Joshua and, and, uh, and the, the Battle of Jericho. A lot of people don't realize that if you look at the whole book of Joshua, it gets kind of technical because they start going and they go in the middle and they go to the north and conquer all these people and they go to the south and they, and they end up conquering the land. But they don't, they, don't, they don't wipe out every enemy like they're supposed to and there are people left in the land. And, uh, and so we see that. And so uh, let me just throw this out. So there comes a time in which they turn away from God. And we go, what? How could you do that? In the same way that you could come out of Egypt, watch him part the Red Sea, go through the Red Sea, get to the other side, watch him drown the Egyptians, and then you say, where are we going to get water? What have you been doing? Why would you bring us out here? In the same way, God says, go in there and I'll bless you. And what do they do? They turn away from God, so God allows the enemies to capture them, and that's when the time of the judges come. And we talked about that on Sunday morning when we started the book of First Samuel, because Samuel is the last of the judges, and the judges were deliverers. Well, who who took the place of Samuel when the judges were over? Who? Okay, and they are who? Who are they? Who is Saul? He's a king. All of a sudden, they have kings now. So the first king is Saul, and the second king is. And the third king, Solomon. And, you know, when you look at this, you see Saul, a man of the flesh. You see David, a man after God's own heart, but made a lot of mistakes. You know, David's one of those guys that whatever he's doing, he's doing it good. If he's sinning, he's going to really do good on sinning. I mean, you know, he's just, he's just full speed on whatever he does. Let's put it that way. And I think David, uh, listen, I, I've, been, I've been really studying this. And if you look at Ezekiel 37, when it talks about the kingdom, when Jesus comes, we all know. Let me just throw this up real quickly just for a second. I know this is a little off the, the deal. But when Jesus died and rose again, they went in the church age, and then there's the rapture, and then there's the seven-year tribulation, and then Jesus comes back and sets up the thousand-year reign. When you look at Ezekiel 37, Jesus is ruling as the king from Jerusalem, but guess who's under Jesus? It's David. David. It's amazing. When people say, I blew it. God will never use me again. Talk to David. David blew it as big as you can blow it. And God says, you're a man after my own heart. Saul blew it. But God never called Saul that because Saul was selfish, fleshly, and did not deal with his sin. David dealt with his sin and loved God. So that David is great. And after David was Solomon, and Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and Solomon's name comes from Shalom, which is peace, and he built the temple, and everything is fantastic. And we're going to see a lot more about the temple, building the temple, and all of that, and a little bit later in another lesson. And when Solomon died, what happened? Say, say that again. What happened? There was a division. Saul's the first king, David's the second king, Solomon's the third king, and at the death of Solomon, the nation divided into two kingdoms, which we all know, we know the southern kingdom was called what? And the northern kingdom was called Israel. And so, and be careful, sometimes when you read it, uh, uh, they, they will call the northern kingdom Ephraim. Because that was one of the bigger tribes. And so sometimes it will say Ephraim, and you'll go, what's Ephraim? That's the same as the northern kingdom. 
Okay, so the, it divided, and this is how it divided. Ten, the ten of the tribes basically called Israel. Jeroboam was the king. He was not a good king. He was a bad man because he, he introduced false worship. The southern kingdom had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. He was not a, he was not a very good king. I mean, because he, he wasn't wise. He didn't listen to the people, and, he, uh, and, that, and that's why it all divided and everything. So there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And you put it this way, the northern kingdom, the capital was at Samaria, and there were no good kings. The entire northern kingdom never had a good king. In fact, the best thing I can tell is you look through it, they never had a believing king, ever. The southern kingdom had a few good kings. I put it there, just some good kings, and, and we could put it that way. The northern kingdom, let me see where we are just to make sure. Okay, the northern kingdom went into captivity. Uh, okay, turned away from God. They had idolatry, child sacrifices. They didn't keep the, the Sabbath. They had prophets like Elijah and Elisha. We just did a study in Sunday school that took, oh, 10, 20 weeks on the life of Elijah and the life of Elisha, two prophets, and how they dealt with the kings of Israel. And then, of course, there's Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and all, and all of those people. And speaking of Hosea, here's what God said. Because they disobeyed, because the northern kingdom must obey. Hosea said, the days of punishment have come. The days of retribution have come. Let Israel know this. The prophet is a fool. The inspired person is insane because of the grossest of your wrongdoing and because your hostility is so great. See, they were saying the prophet was an idiot. He said, yeah, you can call me idiot all you want to, but guess what's fixing to happen to you? What's going to happen to him? Go into captivity. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Huh? Didn't most of the prophets do the work in Judah? The, yeah, there was more. Uh, well, there were some to Israel. There were some to Judah. There were some... Uh, to a couple of other places like Edom, and there were a, a couple of prophets went to Nineveh. You know, Jonah was one, and so and so they they were they went all around. If you ever have my uh, four uh, a two two study, I have one whole lesson that showed where the where the minor prophets and the major prophets were that what nations they spoke to that kind of thing. I just d didn't go into the detail on this, but I want I want you to see what happened. The northern kingdom fell to who? fell to Assyria in what year? 722. Now just put the, the just kind of memorize that 722 BC. 722 years before Jesus came, the northern kingdom fell. Now you don't have to write all this out, but I'm going to show you. Uh, this should say, <clears throat> by the way, this is, it's hard to see, but the Assyrian Empire started off, and, and this was the original Syrian empire, and then they cut, went all the way to Egypt, all the way over. I mean, just huge part of the world was the Assyrian empire. And so uh, this is the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit, but the Assyrians were pretty wicked people. When the Assyrians captured people, they would take men, dig a hole, put them down in the hole, and then leave only the head sticking out. And then they would come by and knock the heads off. That's what they would do. That was one of their sports. That was one of the things they did. They were pretty pretty wicked people. Uh, I think your handout says 2 Kings 17. Uh, three. It should say 2 Kings 17, 5 and 6. And look what this says. Just kind of change that. It says it's 5 and 6. It says the king of Assyria invaded the entire land. This is the northern kingdom. Went up to Samaria. What's Samaria? 
That's the capital. Besieged it for three years. In the ninth year, Hoshea, the king of Assyria, captured Samaria, led the people of Israel into exile to Assyria, and settled them in Hala and Harbar on the river of Kos and in the city of the Medes. So he took them off. Took them off. And, and look at this verse. Until it, he, he says, this is what's going to happen until the Lord removed from his sight, just as he had spoken to all his prophets. So Israel went into exile from their own land to Assyria until this day. He said, they're gone. They're gone. And why? Because of idolatry. And they didn't keep the Sabbaths. They did everything. And, and, and let me ask you something. What, what happened uh, to, uh, to, to that part of the world? It became known as Samaria. Let me show you something. This is Israel at the time of Christ. But the southern part was called Judea. The northern part was called Galilee. That middle section, there Samaria, was the capital of the northern empire. That became known as Samaria. Now why? What, what caused that? What, what was different about it? Well, because they brought in, the king of Syria brought people from Babylon region, and he names these cities, and he settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the sons of Israel. They took possession of Samaria. So the, the, the Assyrians brought in Gentiles to live where the Jews lived, and the Jews that were left intermarried and became half Jew, half Gentile, called Samaritans. And they set up a false worship system. And at the time of Christ, when you think of a Samaritan, is that a good person or a bad person? They're actually, we say bad, they were actually okay people. But they worshiped to the Jews, said, don't have anything to do with Samaritans because they're not really Jews. They're half Jew, half Gentile, and they don't believe the same way we believe. So that's where the Samaritans came from. And so when you study the New Testament and you see the good Samaritan and those kind of things, you'll understand what's going on. Now, let me go fairly quickly because what about the southern kingdom? What, what about, the, that's why I put who are the Samaritans, that's half Jew, half Gentile, just put that in there. They brought in uh, the Second Kings 17, 24. If, if you miss something and you, you know, just raise your hand and I'll go back and we'll make sure we get it. But I just want you to see the big flow. I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but it's, it's, it's really fun. It's really fun. So what, what about the southern kingdom? What about the southern kingdom? Let me do this. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Samaria. This whole part's gone. They took them all off. Well, what about the southern kingdom? That's Judah. And we said they had some pretty good kings along the way. Not a lot of good kings, but they had some good kings along the way. And so what happened to them? Well, there was a king by the name of Hezekiah. When you hear of Hezekiah, what do you think? Good or bad? Good. Yeah, he's good. He was a good guy. You, you would like him. We would all like him. And so what happened is when the, when the Assyrians conquered all this, they said, well, let's go conquer this. And what's the main city? Jerusalem. So we're going to conquer Jerusalem and we'll take the whole thing. No sense in getting half of it. Get the whole thing. This is one kingdom. This is another kingdom. So the, the, uh, the, they sent the... The leader, one of the leaders down, and they came to the city, Jerusalem, and they came to the wall of the city, and I talked about this last week, and they came up and said, we, we're giving you a chance to get out. If you'll, just, if you'll just bow down right now, we'll take over and we'll let you live, and we'll just rule everything. And they had already told the people on the wall, don't say a word, don't say anything to them. And so uh, he said, now if you, 
if you, if you don't, and say, they, they, in Second Kings, the, the, this is what the king says, and they said to him, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He'll not be able to save you. He'll, he'll not be able to save you. There's no way he can save you. Just remember that. And so they came and they told King Hezekiah, uh, we're in bad shape. And so in 19.1, what did Hezekiah do? The king Hezekiah heard the report. He tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered into the house of the Lord. So he, he went to the Lord and he prayed. And in 2 Kings 19, 6 through 8, here's what God said. He said, tell, tell him that the king of Assyria is going to go back home. And guess what? He went back home. And then he came back. <laughs> you go, hey, thanks a lot. I mean, uh, you, what are you doing here? So he came the second time. And the second challenge, and look right here, Second Kings nineteen fourteen. Most of you know this. Hezekiah took the letter. He, they got a letter that basically said, "If you don't surrender right now, we will kill every one of you in the city." And so Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messenger, read it, went up to the house of the Lord, and spread it out before the Lord. He put it down before the Lord. And so, what's going to happen? God answered. Look, this is him. Look at that. That's an actual picture of Hezekiah uh, in, the, in the temple area, rolling it out before the Lord. So what's going to happen? Well, God answers. Let me read this to you. Let me read this to you. This is 2 Kings 19. And, you know, most of the time we don't ever study these books. Let's, let's just face it. We don't. I mean, 2 Kings 19. Wait a minute. It may not be the... It's, I'm sorry. It, it's supposed to be 32. I think that's what I'm. That's what I'm looking at. That's wrong. Huh? The notes are right. This is what's wrong. Right. That's why. So this this should be Second Kings 19:32. Because uh, I looked to here and I've got 32 here, and then I looked there and I got 22, and I went that doesn't that doesn't sound right. Okay, 32. Here's what God said. Thus said the Lord concerning the king of Assyria: He will not come into the city. Or even shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp. By the way he came, he will go back. He will not come into the city. I will defend my city. Okay, so God says, you don't have to worry about it. He'll never come into the city. Now, there are thousands and thousands of Assyrians surrounding Jerusalem. And they say they're not going to come in. So look what happens. Verse 35 it happened that night that the angel of the Lord came out, struck 185,000 of the camp of the Assyrians, and when the men rose up early in the morning, they were dead. One angel in the night killed 185,000 Assyrians, and they went home. So, what happened here? When, when did Assyria capture the Northern Empire? 722 B.C. Well, after that, the Assyrians were taken over by the Babylonians. And in 605 B.C., over 100 years later, the Babylonians come get the southern kingdom. And let me just put this up, and I'm not going to, we're not going to go into a lot of details. Uh, look, that's the angel. Once again, an actual picture of the angel 
killing the 108. You've always wanted to see this, I know. And so I found the actual picture of this. Okay, so the southern kingdom is going to be removed from the land eventually in three deportations. But I've got to tell you a story, and, and I don't want you to have to write everything down. But in Isaiah 38, Hezekiah got sick. This is the Hezekiah who rolled out the scroll, who Isaiah said, don't worry, he won't do anything. 185,000 of them died. They all left. Hezekiah is the king. Everything's going good. And then Hezekiah gets sick. And God actually sends word and says, uh, tell Hezekiah to get everything in order. He's going to die. And Hezekiah, let me ask you a question. What would you do if God sent word to you that get your stuff in order, you're going to die? Huh? Well, I'd get everything in order, but I'd go, I don't want to die. And that's exactly what he did. He said, I don't want to die. And so God came back and said, okay, i give you 15 more years to live. That's what he did. Guess how many years he lived? 15 more. But let me tell you what happened during those 15 years. He had a son by the name of Manasseh who became the wickedest king in all of Israel's history. And this event happened. He became sick. And some people from a little bitty country. Now remember, they're not even a nation yet. Assyria is the power. Some people from a little place called Babylon, who is just a little place, they heard he was sick. So they sent some people there to say, we heard you were sick, we heard you got well, we just want you to know how glad we are, and we brought you some presents. And so he said, well, let me show you my kingdom. You're going to love this. I got, look how much gold I have here. Look at the temple. Look at all the gold in the temple. Look at all the weapons and the shields and the things that I have. Look at all the horses that I have. I, I'm rich. Yeah, oh yeah, you got everything. And they leave. And the prophet Isaiah comes and says, uh, who you been talking to? Oh, he said, ah, just some people from this little place called Babylon. And he said, thus says the Lord. One of these days, those people are going to come back to here. And they're going to take away everything we have. And he went, really? Uh, will I be here? And he went, no. And he went, oh, good. <laughs> That's what he said. And it did, later on, of course, he had a son named Manasseh, and then they had all the way down, and it, Josiah, and all the good ones. And, and then finally, of course, they went into captivity. And, and he got sick, and God gave him a few more years. And Babylon came and came to power. And let me just show you this, uh, just real quickly, and we'll get more details on this at another time because we're about, we only got about five minutes left. But there were three deportations. The, the Babylonians came in in 605 B.C., and the king's name was Jehoiakim, and you don't have to remember all that. But just remember that Daniel, that was when Daniel was taken off into captivity. We all know about Daniel being taken off as a young boy. That happened in 605 B.C., and that was in the first deportation. When I say deportations, the Babylonians didn't come in and take everything off at one time. They came in the first time and took off a whole bunch of people, including Daniel. They came a second time in 598 B.C., and they took off Ezekiel. Most of the book of Ezekiel, guess where it was written from? Babylon. And then in 585 B.C., under a king named Zedekiah, they came in, they burned the temple, they destroyed the city, and Jeremiah was left. Let me ask you a question. What two books did Jeremiah write? 
Jeremiah and... What's the other book? Lamentations. Lamentations. What does Lamentations mean? What does it mean to lament? It means to be really sad. You know what Lamentations is about? Lamentations is a book where Jeremiah wrote seeing all the dead bodies of everybody that was killed by the Babylonians. And he writes it and says, I see people in the streets. I see people dead. That's what Lamentations is about. Behold, the Lord's loving kindness never ceases. Compassions never fail. They're newer and every morning great is the faithfulness. Exactly. In the middle of all the death, that's what he says. So, uh, by the way, and this is, this is so beautiful. That, well, th- this is not. They came in and they killed all the men and the women. They took the articles from the temple. They destroyed the temple. They broke down the walls. If you want to write some of that down, just by verse 17, they killed everybody. And in verse 18, they took the things from the temple. In verse 19, they destroyed the city and the temple. So it'll just give you an idea of what happened. Uh, now, the reason I'm giving you all this, and you may say, this is a lot of stuff. Yeah, you just you need to know the flow of the Bible and what happened, especially, I mean, this is in the Bible, so it's stuff that we need to know. Everybody got it? I've got one other thing I wanted to look up just to make sure. I don't know if I put the verse or not, and I just want to. Make sure I have it here. That Look at that picture. That's them throwing people over. That's them destroying the city. That's them destroying the temple area. It was unbelievable. You know what Jewish people thought? God would never let the temple be destroyed because it's the biggest, grandest, most beautiful thing that's ever been built. Solomon built it. I mean, it's gold and it's beautiful. God would never let that happen. God let it happen. Gone. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21 says, The captivity would last for how long? Seventy years. Let me ask you a question. How long did the captivity last? Exactly seventy years. Listen, when God says something, it's... True, and let's finish this out real quickly just so you can see this. But in that first captivity was a guy by the name of Daniel. In Daniel chapters 1, 1 through 6, he's chosen. You remember he's so special that he's so smart. And they come in and they say, go look for the smartest, handsomest, sharpest men young men and bring them here and they took Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and a bunch of others and they took them up to Babylon and they taught them the language and they learned it and, and God raised up Daniel to be so smart that he was smarter than all of those people around him and the king would ask a question and Daniel answered it just like that. He said, i never seen anybody like you as a boy. And this is the story where Daniel wouldn't eat the certain meat that he wasn't supposed to eat under the Mosaic law. So he said, just test me. Let me eat vegetables, and I promise you. And they said, well, we'll give you one shot. And, he, and then after a week, he said, boy, you look a lot better with those vegetables. So Daniel didn't have to disobey the law. I mean, he was an incredible guy. And listen, he went to captivity at age 14, most likely. And he was like in the kingdom all the way to the time of Cyrus. That's chapter 1. That's over 70 years. So how old was Daniel toward the end when we see the end of his life? How old was he? About, about 85. Let me ask you a question. You think of Daniel in the lion's den. What do you picture? Young man, or, young man or old man? We always picture a young man. He's probably 85 years old when he's thrown in the lion's den. 
I love, there's a picture, I'll get it sometime, there's a picture of Daniel standing like this with his hands behind his back and he's looking like this and a bunch of lions are just right there and he's just looking like this and they're all just sitting there looking at him, you know. Maybe too old to eat. Yeah, maybe, yeah. they probably said, I don't think we want, he, that's tough meat there, he's old. Daniel probably said, that's the only time I'm proud of being old. But, now, I got to show you something. To, to finish this up tonight, you need to understand the seven Gentile world empires. When you think of the Bible and you think of the world, we always think of the Jews, right? Man, because when you get down to it, when, in, when did the Jews start in the Bible? At Genesis 12. So you got Genesis 1 through 11, and then starting in Genesis chapter 12 through the whole rest of the Bible, it's all about Jews, technically. And Jesus, right? And of course the church is in there, but the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. So God talks about there are Gentiles and there's seven Gentile world empires that, that I want to say come and gone, but they're not all come and gone. And I want you to see them. And if you've never put this together, you will be excited, okay? There's seven Gentile world empires that have a relationship with the Jews. Here they are. The first one is Egypt. And that was the, by the way, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world, on top of the world. And what happened? God used slaves to come out of Egypt. So Egypt had uh, basically connected with Israel. They were in slavery and Moses let them out. Then who's next? The Assyrian Empire. Who did they take? Northern Empire. Who's next? Babylon. Who did they take? The Southern Kingdom, and that's Daniel and Ezekiel. Then who was next? And by the way, you need to know that this is history. This is not made up history. This is history of the world. Who came after the Babylonians? The Medes and the Persians. The Medio Persians. Who are the Persians? Iran. Iran. That's Iran. They're here today. They're still Persians. Persians do not consider themselves, Iran does not consider themselves Arabs. They're Persians. They're not Arabs. See, we all think everybody over there is all Arabs, but Persians aren't. Okay, then after the medial Persians came the who? The Greco-Macedonians. Who do you think of when you think of the Greeks? How about Alexander the Great? I, I think of Alexander the Great, and I think of the Greco, Greek Empire. And then came who? The Romans. And the Romans are all the ones at the time of Jesus. We're going to look at the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was amazing. And we're going to say, why would God... Let me, let me throw this out. Why would God send Jesus during the time of the Roman Empire? Why didn't he send him now? I mean, why did Jesus come to the world to save the world at that time? Think about it. Why didn't he come back here at Babylon? Why didn't he come during the Medes and the Persians? Why did he come to the Romans? And then last but not least is one called the Revised Roman Empire. Now, let me show you something. I put at the top Revelation chapter 17, verse 10. Now, I want you to think, let's think about this. There are seven Gentile world empires, and in the Bible, they're called mountains or kingdoms. Now, listen to this. This is God giving information to John who's writing the book of Revelation. Are you ready? Here's what he tells him. And he says, uh, There are seven heads which are seven mountains, 
And then he says, the seven mountains are seven kingdoms. How many kingdoms are up there? Seven. Seven. Now, let me ask you a question. When did John live? What, what empire? Roman. Roman empire. Okay, put that down right there, okay? Now watch. He says to John, there are seven kingdoms. Five have fallen. That's what he says. One, two, three, four, five. Then he says, one is. And one is still to come. That's the Bible, y'all. So when somebody says the Greeks and the Macedonians and the Romans and the Medo-Persian, that's all God's plan. And if you've ever studied the book of Daniel, when Daniel writes about the empires, since Daniel lived right here, he writes about these empires. He actually tells these empires are coming. We're going to see it when we study a little bit of it. So have an understanding of the seven Gentile world empires and how they relate to the Jewish people because it's going to be back here in the book of Revelation. All of that stuff as well. Okay, any, any questions? Let me, let me give you some key aspects and then we'll go over the quiz. Let me give you key aspects quickly. First of all, just remember this. And you don't have to listen. You don't have to write down every word for word on this. I'm just giving you some aspects that God chose the nation of Israel to give us the word of God and the Messiah. That's what he did. God chose the nation of Israel to give us the word of God and the Messiah. I think this is going to stay up there. So if I go faster than you can write it, it'll stay up there for a minute, okay? The second one is this, and you already know this. Obedience by Israel, what, what happens? They stay in the land. Disobedience by Israel, what happened? They were moved out of the land. That's that simple. This is what we've seen tonight, okay? And you don't have to write down every word again, just however how you can remember it. Number three, God warned the nation of Israel before he brought judgment. How did he warn them? Say it. Prophets, exactly. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He, they came to him and said, if you don't straighten up, he's already told you, you obey, you get to live in the land. You disobey, you get taken out of the land. You're disobeying. What should you expect? Taken. taken out of the land. Okay? Number four, the Assyrian Empire captured the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. So we know that. I mean, you just can put down Syrians captured 722. Northern kingdom. By the way, what was the capital of the northern kingdom? Samaritans. Who are these Samaritans? Have to, have to, exactly. All right, here's number five. God saved the southern kingdom from the Assyrians. How did he do it? How? With an angel. Now, just remember this. When you talk about angels and you think an angel is a cute little thing with wings... Just remember that one angel killed 185,000 soldiers. They are powerful, powerful beings. That's why, that's why you don't ever want to mess with Satan. He's a very powerful being. He's an angel. He's evil. He's more evil than you could imagine. You cannot imagine how evil Satan is. And when all these people, I've seen some groups. Well, I remember one time I went to a place and these people were saying, we're going after the devil. We're going to stomp all over him. I said, the very best thing you can do is draw near to God. Don't go after the devil. He will eat you alive. He's like a roaring lion. Okay? So God saved the, that southern kingdom. And then the Babylonian Empire captured the southern kingdom, 605, 598, and 585, which you've got written other places as well. 